sure that some of you figured out that today is Camo Day at Village Church. And you might say, what, what, what in the world are you all doing with Camo Day today? Um, my mom was here last week, and so there ain't no way I'm going to show up in church wearing camo when my mom's around. So we thought we'd do it the week after Mother showed up. But camo, of course, is the official dress of South Carolina. But there is a reason for people to wear camouflage. And if you are a hunter or you're a soldier, you know that one of the great things about camouflage, supposedly, is that you're going to be able to blend in with your surroundings. You know that you're going to be able to hide from stuff. And so that is one of the great things. I look out today and I can't see many of you because of your camo. But uh, whether you be a hunter or not, or a soldier or not, the fact of the matter is people, people like camo. Uh, we like to hide from certain things in life. Am I right? And that there are certain realities that all of us want to hide from. And so that's why we decided to kind of focus on camo day today. Because I believe that one of the biggest realities of life that people want to hide from is death. Now I know you're thinking, man, this is going to be a real uplifting message today. And it is. So you're going to be real excited about it. But here's the deal. I really believe that most people want to do whatever they can to hide from the reality that we are living in a world where each of us is going to die. And we try to hide from it all the time. I mean, I look around and I see some of the stuff that we do to hide from it. We, one of the things we do is we, you know, we exercise. We try to get in, in as good a shape as possible so that we can stave it off for as long as we can. I've been going to the Y, and I said this, I guess, a few weeks ago. I've been going to the Y for a number of years, and a lot of people at this time of year make New Year's resolutions. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm ready for you guys who go for New Year's to quit. I'm ready for you all to give up because I'm tired of waiting on machines. And so we try to stave it off by doing exercise. Uh, On a more serious note, uh, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of different people who are struggling in life. And I've seen people who've come in, and they're trying to recapture some of their youth. And I've seen people who've been married for a number of years, and they're willing to trade in families to go after a, you know, a, a different person in order to recapture some of that youth. And then, and then others of us are, are living in the complete denial you know, about the fact that we don't live forever. Did you all know that? I mean, you can try to trick yourself as much as possible. The guys, one out of one people... Don't make it. And so we try to, we live in denial. It's like we, we spend our lives like we're spending money without ever checking in the bank account to find out how much we actually have left. But here's the beauty about today's scripture that we're going to look at. And the beauty about today's scripture that we're going to visit is that Peter, the Apostle Peter, tells us that those of us who are followers of Jesus don't have to live their lives in hiding. That we don't have to camouflage our lives from the reality of this life, which is that this life ultimately leads to death. I mean, so why 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 don't believers in Jesus, followers of Christ, have to hide from this fact? And here's why. It's because God has branded His people with hope. And so while we're talking about death, we're also going to be talking about about hope. And in the scripture we're looking at today is we're going to see Peter sharing that followers of God have been branded with a hope of God. Now when I talk about hope, I want you to know that I'm not talking about the kind of hope where you say, you know, I hope that, you know, Clemson beats Carolina this year. 
or I hope that Carolina beats Clemson, or I, you know, I hope something's going to happen, but I'm not sure. The kind of hope I'm talking about is a hope that we can know with certainty. And so when God says that he brands his people with hope, he's talking about branding you with a certainty in your life. The Bible gives us a definition of this kind of hope in Hebrews chapter 11, 1. It says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of that which is not seen. So the big question for us today is what is this hope that God gives his people? What kind of hope does God give us? So if you have your Bible, uh, today we're just briefly going to look into a passage of Scripture where this is talked about. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. Otherwise, we're going to have it up on the screen. But uh, 1 Peter, you can go to the middle of your, actually go to the back of your Bible and turn left a little ways. And you're going to run into 1 Peter. If not, just look in your table of contents. And that's a lot easier. And they'll have a page number and everything. But uh, Peter wrote this letter to a group of Jewish Christians who were living throughout the ancient world at this time. They'd been run off from their homeland. And, and any time you are living in a land where you are not a native, you know, you're different, right? I mean, you don't naturally fit into the culture that's around you. And because of this, these people were undergoing some persecution in their life. In the book of 1 Peter, whenever you read through it, you're going to see the word suffering and persecution mentioned 15 different times. Uh, 1 Peter 4.12, Peter's just real up front with people. He tells them, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which await you. Okay, that's a, that's a ball of joy right there, isn't it? And so these people are in desperate need of hope. So I want you to understand the context of the Scripture. The people that are being written to, the text we're looking at today, is being written to a group of people who are facing a very harsh reality of life. And that is that sometimes there is stuff and junk that happens in life that's really hard. But Peter let them know that God gives hope. Now, my guess is that there are some of you today who are in need of hope. You need to know that, that what you are going through actually has a light at the end of the tunnel. You need to know that there is a God who has a hope for you. And I hope you'll see it today. And so we're just going to look and see the kind of hope that God gives his followers. So what kind of hope does God give us? Well, the very first hope we have is victory. God gives us victory over hopelessness. Now, as we live in a world that is very hopeless, Peter says God gives us victory over hopelessness. Now, look with me in verse number 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As I alluded to earlier, the people being written to, uh, they're struggling. They're, they are looking for something to hang on to. Fifteen different times, persecution and suffering is mentioned. And so Peter comes along and tries to encourage them. Because at this point, they had to be asking the question, is it worth it for us to follow God? 
whenever we know that in this life, we just sort of travel down life, and then what's next? We die. I mean, do, do we have anything else to look forward to? And it's here that Peter stretches the people by reminding them that in this life, God gives us a future. That God gives us something to hang on to. Now, now what is it? It is a victory over the hopelessness of this life. And, and I know that we have all experienced hopelessness in this life. You know, we all know what it's like to, to have our, you know, our heart torn out. We all know what it's like in order to be disappointed in people. You know, we, we seem to be living in a world now, and I'm, this is easy for preachers to do, but y'all just hang in there with me. I mean, it just seems so easy to, to look and see that we live in a world now where, where the things of God seem to be irrelevant to a lot of people. You know, that, that really, does it really matter if we follow after God or not? I mean, this, it, it seems to be old-fashioned. It seems to be something that really doesn't make a difference in our lives. And a lot of the things that we see today, it's, it's not friendly to the things of God. And the values that are taught in Scripture and the respect for God and respect for life are, I mean, just are thrown out the window. A couple examples. I mean, I, I see some of the, the abortion statistics that we have that just came out about the funding that we give it. And I think, my, my Lord, why would we expect God to bless us when life is so considered to be so invaluable? I look and I see what Scripture teaches and then I, I see what, what we, how we view marriage these days and the lack of respect for it and even what marriage means. I mean, who ever thought that we'd begin, begin to question or even understand the new definitions that we give marriage now. And so I look around and I see that, that there seems to be a, a hopelessness. And yet, and yet Peter tells us that God gives us a rescue from the natural course of this world, which is death. Now, we, like I said before, we try, we try to hide from it. We try to hide from death. You know, we say, I'll work real hard, I'll get a bunch of stuff, and then, then I can get real comfortable. If I get comfortable, then, then I can kind of put it off and put it out of my mind, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you know, then I'm going to be okay. And I really think today that what we see in society, in our just typical society, is the number one value in life now seems to be happiness. You know, what's, what's the most important thing that we can seek after in life is to be happy. Now, I like happy. You know, I enjoy it when y'all are happy. I like it when people in my family are happy. So I'm not opposed to happiness, but if that becomes our number one value in life, we have to understand that happiness is dictated by circumstances. And you know one thing I know about circumstances? They change. You know, some days are good, right? Some days are bad. My guess is half of you are already having a good day, another half of you are having a bad day. Uh, some days are, are rainy, some days are sunny. So, you know, just sort of things change. But if you base your life off of happiness, you are basing it off of circumstances. And if you're basing your life off of circumstances, I can guarantee you, you are going to be an emotional yo-yo. But not only that, there, there are times when we actually get happiness. You know, and we, we find those things that we've dreamed about, and then what happens? We're like, oh, man, that stuff didn't really satisfy me and fill me up like I thought it would. And you know, so it's, it's just very interesting to me. Sometimes the things we seek after we finally get them and we still come away empty. 
I read an, an article, actually not an article, I saw it on television, this is a number of years ago, it's after Tom Brady, uh, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, he'd won his third Super Bowl. So, you know, the Super Bowl's coming up next week, so I thought this would be a good story. But after he won his third Super Bowl, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes. And it was really interesting. Here's what he said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He said, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. And he said, but here's what I think. God, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it doesn't take long as we live in this life to see that happiness is very much on the surface. And it doesn't take long for happiness to be destroyed by circumstances. You know, it, but there's a lot of evil in our world. We all know this. And I think one thing, I, we like to camouflage that and hide it, even sometimes in the church. You know, in the, last, in the last few months, we've seen evil. I mean, we know what's happened in Newtown, Connecticut. Saw those shootings up there. And you might remember what it was like whenever they began to show the faces of those victims and how it, man, just, it, just, it just hurt us. And so we know that there's evil in this world. But Peter tells us that even in the midst of this world, there is hope. What's the hope? That we can be born, verse number 3 says that we can have a birth into a new life through the hope of Jesus. Now what in the world does that mean? Y'all heard the term before, born again? You know, he is born again. Now I know when I was born, I'm sure you know your birthday. My birthday is February 9th. It's coming up. Y'all think about that. February 9th is my birthday. Now I know when I was born, but what does it mean to be born again? If that's confusing to you, you're not the only one first time this phrase was used was by Jesus. He was talking to a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader, and he said this to him in John 3, 3. He said, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, born again is important. If, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then said, but how can anyone be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? That's a perfectly sensible question to me. But Jesus let him know that the way you are born again is by you entrusting your life to the leadership of God. And whenever that happens, then God births you into his family and you have victory over hope. Or victory over hopelessness. Now, how does that happen? Because of what, what Paul or what Peter talks about in verse number three. Because Jesus conquered death. When Jesus rose from the grave, guys, that meant something for us. It meant that, that death does not have a victory over Jesus. Therefore, when we are in the family of Jesus, it means that death does not have a victory over us either. So what is the hope that God gives us? Very first hope. A victory over hopelessness. You know, we live in a world where we are all traveling down the same path. We live, and then what? We die. That's pretty hopeless. But Peter says there is victory over hopelessness. So don't hide from the reality of this life because you have a God who gives you victory. All right, that's the first thing I want you to see. Here's the second hope we have, and that is a secured hope. The hope we have in Jesus is a secured hope or a secured salvation. Look with me in verse 4. It says, And into an inheritance that is imperishable, 
uncorrupted and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had reservations before? And then whenever you went, after you had your reservations, to check in on your reservations, they've been canceled? Ever happened to y'all? Any of y'all ever fly? Um, that's happened to us before. We had reservations on a flight. Emily and I, we were flying back. I don't remember from where. Somewhere out west. We landed in, Col- uh, in Atlanta trying to connect, c- catch a connecting flight into Columbia. We rushed to the gate, and they tell us, your flight's been canceled. And, of course, because I am patient, I asked them, I said, well, you know, we have reservations, so I don't know how you cancel a flight when I've already bought the ticket. And uh, because I kept my Christian demeanor, she was very kind, when she said, well, that doesn't matter because the plane's been canceled anyway. Okay, that is one of the most frustrating experiences that you can go through. Because I'm thinking, then why in the world did I ever get a plane ticket in the first place? Now, the good news is they said, but we're going to pay for your rented car. I'm like, man, if I wanted to rent a car, I would have done it. I didn't want to get a plane ticket. So anyway, I think sometimes we allow those thoughts about reservations that we've had that have been canceled to seep over into our relationship with God where we begin to ask the question, what if God cancels our reservation? You know, we we say that we have entrusted ourselves to him. What if we stand before God and he says, man, I hate to tell you this, but we're overbooked. And so you don't get to come here. And I understand how we can have that kind of a thought process because of our life experiences. But look what what Peter says in verse 4. If you go back to verse number 4, he tells us that our reservations, our inheritance of eternal life, he says it's imperishable, it's uncorruptible, it's unfading and kept in heaven for us. And there's just a few things that I want you to notice uh, very, very briefly, very quickly. Notice our hope of heaven is called an inheritance. Now, what is the stipulation before you are able to inherit something? What has to happen before you can inherit something? Okay, I didn't understand you all, so I'll, just, I'll answer for you. Uh, some of you all might have said somebody's got to die. But more importantly, before that person dies, you've got to be in the will, right? Um, and it really helps if you're related to the person. And if you're related to the person, then you're going to receive an inheritance from him. Now, how do we get, now the big question is, well, then how do we get this kind of an inheritance? We've got to get in God's family. How do we get in his family? But that's right, be born again. To entrust our lives to him and what he does is he brings us into his family. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7 explains this for us. It says, But when the completion of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption. Adoption is what? It's y'all's turn. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we cry out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir of God. Is that cool? You trust Jesus. He brings you into his family. Now, here's my question again for you. How long is a person a son? How long will my boys, Hank and Glenn, be my sons? Now, will they be my sons until they graduate from high school? 
Will they, will they be my sons until they, they get a job and are able to support their own families? No, the fact of the matter is, they will always be my son. Your kids will always be your kids. The same thing's true with God. Jesus reiterates the permanence of our relationship with him when he tells us in John 10, 27 through 29, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Peter says that God keeps our inheritance for us in heaven. That word kept, that's used in our scripture, it's a military term. It means to guard and to shield. God is the one who guards and shields our inheritance. And the tense of that verb indicates he does it continually. Now how strong is God? Can anybody ever snatch that out of his hand? Absolutely not. Once you are a son, you are always a son. Our responsibility is to place our trust in him. As we place our trust in him then the power of God's salvation will work in us. Let me try to give you an example. Parents, you remember whenever your kids were little and you take them to the pool and you remember trying to get them to jump into you for the very first time? I still remember. You stand in the pool. Parents would do Come on, jump to me. And what did, what did your kids do? Typically, they just sort of looked at you. And I, there has to be in their mind, they have to be thinking, ain't no way I'm jumping to him because he has no athletic ability. You know, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in, and he's not going to catch me, and I'm going to sink like a rock to the bottom of the pool, and I'm going to drown. Now, that's not going to happen, not unless you're a real jerk as a parent, right? I mean, they're going to jump in, what are you going to do? You're going to catch your kid. But for that kid to experience you catching them, he has to leap to you. And the same idea is true in our relationship with God. Before we can experience the sonship of God, we have to be willing to leap to God and trust him. Now God gives us hope. He gives us a victory of hope, of, over hopelessness. He gives us a secured hope. And it's the last thing I want us to see. He gives us a present day hope. And I really like this one. I mean, I like them all. This is really good for us today. He gives us a present day hope. I'm going to read you the last two verses. It says, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to be distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. People in our text are suffering. And they were suffering so much that, that in their minds, they are thinking, this life doesn't matter. This life's out the door. We have nothing to look forward to. But we have a future. That sounds good. Yet Peter steps in and he says, you know what, it's not that you're just looking to the next life, which is great, that God will raise you from the dead, but he let them know this life now has hope. And I want you to know this. Your life today can be touched by the power of God's hope. Now, the people were distressed because of the sorrow they had in life. Some of you are distressed because of the sorrows you have. And that burden's so heavy, you think, I don't have anything to look forward to in this life, but I'm just looking forward to the next one. Guys, let me tell you something. It's erroneous thinking. This life has value. This life has hope in it. You say, how's that possible? You know, it's really interesting to me that God can use the trials of this life in order to build you up and to strengthen you. Now, I'm not saying that, that I enjoy suffering. 
I don't. I have a very low pain tolerance. I'm, I'd like to go through life without ever hurting. But it's so interesting to me that God has the ability to use hurt and pain to show people that he's here, that he moves, that he strengthens his people. I want to close with a story. Um, eagles are interesting birds, and I'm sure mother eagles are just as caring as any other kind of, of mothers. But, you know, whenever they have a, a nest of eaglets, there comes a time, just like in our lives, when we have to teach our kids to survive on their own. Uh, we, have a, we have a senior in high school, so we're just sort of in that stage right now as well. We're trying, he, he's getting ready to go out. And so how do you get your kids to live on their own? This is an interesting thought. Maybe you want to apply it to your life. What mother eagles do is there comes a time when eagles got to learn how to fly. And so you think, how do you teach, how do you learn how to fly? You know? Mother eagles will take their eaglets out of the nest. They will fly high into the air, and they let go of that eaglet. And that, I mean, can you imagine, that what, if, if, I mean, if eagles think, you know, they've got, the, the baby's got to be thinking, what in the world is mom doing? I knew she hated me. You know, and she lets them go. And those babies, are, they are rocketing to the ground, and they've never flown before. Before they hit the ground, though, the mother eagle will swoop in. You know, this is true. They'll swoop in, and she will grab that eaglet and save it. Now, that eaglet's got to be, if he does think, he's thinking, thank, she got her mind back, you know, and she's, and she's going to take me back to the nest, thank goodness, where I can just continue to eat whatever they eat, and I'm going to be happy. She flies them right back up, and she repeats the process. And she continues to drop that eaglet over and over again until that eaglet finally begins to go, begin, I mean, starts, he starts flapping his wings. Like, I've got to do something because this lady's crazy. And so he's just flapping it. He's flapping his wings. And he continues to do this over and over again until he begins to learn how to fly. Now, without that process, that eaglet's never going to even know that he can fly. Now, here's what, here's what I believe. I believe there are times whenever God will allow trials to come into our lives in order to teach us how to fly. To let us know that this world does not have to devastate us. It does not have to take the wind out of our lives. But instead to show that whenever we are facing difficulties in life, and we will because this is a sinful world, to be reminded that we have a God who stands over this world and God is letting us know even in trials that there's victory, that there's a God who has power over all things. Now, folks, we live in a world that is desperate, desperate for hope. And I'm talking, I'm talking about people are desperate for real hope. And God gives his people real hope. What, what does he give us? He gives us a victory over hopelessness. He gives us a hope that's secure. He gives us a present-day hope. Have you been branded by the hope of God? Is that a mark in your life? Now, some of you might say, I don't, I don't know. I want you to know today, God desires to brand you with his hope. To let you know this life is not hopeless. God is here. He is living. He has conquered the greatest reality that so many of us are hiding from. He's conquered death. Guys, you want victory over death? It's only going to come through Jesus.